What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Love Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind, broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Right, the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Cosmic, Cosmic Radio. Twisted Soul. Futuristica Radio. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to uh, another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. My name's Imran. Thank you for tuning in to our episode today. Um, this is episode 125, firstly, so let's pause for applause uh, <laughs> for that statistic, which is super cool. If this is the first episode you're ever catching, I hope you'll be around for the next 125. If you've caught any of the episodes before that, then, uh, well, again, your company, uh, again, is always appreciated, so thanks for coming back. Um, the podcast runs in conjunction uh, with Blue in Green Radio, the online internet radio station that broadcasts from London and presents shows from across the wide world, uh, celebrating the best that we can find in soul, jazz, funk, Latin music and hip-hop. So uh, yeah, we'd love your company over at blueingreenradio.com where you'll find our radio stream as well as the full backlist catalogue of the Blue and Green podcast episodes. Uh, today's uh, uh, episode uh, finds us in the delectable company uh, of Miss M. Griner uh, in support of her brilliant new album, uh, Business and Pleasure. Um, uh, to, you know, this uh, singer, songwriter, uh, musician, producer. Literally, if we went through everything that Emma has uh, achieved in her career, it would constitute the <laughs> the entire episode uh, in length. It's such staggering achievements and a uh, real joy to be able to spend the time talking to her about um, just some of them, um, and particularly her new project. Um, the new album also finds her alongside uh, husband, uh, poet and uh, songwriter, uh, Mr. Michael Holmes, who uh, collaborates on the entire album, but one song, which is a cover, which we'll address a little later on in the episode. Um, and uh, yes, Michael jumps in for the episode uh, as well. Both wonderful company, uh, very giving with their time and just really, really great stories uh, about how they met and how their the kind of the project and their affection for uh, this genre of music kind of influenced their desire to kind of uh, create something within the vein of something that meant a lot to them. So it's a real pleasure to be able to spend time with them and discuss this album. And uh, yes, I very much hope you'll enjoy the episode, as I'm absolutely sure you will. It's a really great conversation. Um, we uh, A quick reminder, actually, in support of the new project, which is being released through uh, Legere Recordings, there are some amazing uh, performances happening like everywhere, which is very, very cool, from the States to uh, Hamburg in Germany, uh, Spain as well. And if you are listening in the London area, um, I would like to bring your attention to the Pheasantry uh, performance Thursday, June 8th. Um, so uh, yes tickets available you can find them at the M Griner events page mgriner.com uh, events page or wherever you purchase your uh, tickets I imagine the pheasantry direct as well so uh, sure to be a wonderful gig some of the performances um, I think in Hamburg uh, Sean Lee uh, is present uh, Angels of Libra uh, as well so like amazing um, it's, yeah, it's going to be a wonderful live uh, set I imagine in support of the album uh, we feature two songs per episode, um, 
Uh, We're going to open with uh, a track, obviously, from Business and Pleasure. We're going to play Summertime, uh, which is a super cool song. Very timely if you're looking at the weather window right now. Uh, And, uh, yeah, we're going to play that momentarily. The final song I have to make mention, I... uh, um, uh, facetiously made mention of a song that didn't make the album which that we discussed and I, I facetiously but jokingly asked if we could have it for the episode and they're so gracious they actually said yes and I'm sure if I were to go back and say oh hey uh, that they, they would grant us this this song but I, I you know it's, it was <laughs> I joked and I felt so rude uh, so we won't be closing with the song that we may mention of in the episode but we will be closing with um, M's cover of Real Love originally by the Doobie Brothers and Michael McDonald uh, which is the album Closer and it's going to be the closer for our episode today but um, what a great treat uh, that they've you know kindly offered but I've <laughs> I've attempted to preserve some uh, some manners throughout the process. So uh, a huge thanks to both of them again. Massive thanks to Will Work for Funk uh, as well um, uh, for facilitating this conversation. I hope you enjoy our episode today, my friends. Love went cold in September Didn't even know my name alone by December Losing at their loving game Then the sun came up in over And I'm making all sealed away Summer came quick to my heart And now it's summertime every day We can put the bad times out of our heads Oh yes we can
well, once again, formally, thank you very much uh, to both of you for, for, for hanging out uh, for a little bit just to talk about your, your wonderful new project together, which is a really exciting thing to kind of delve into. So, uh, again, I appreciate your time. And um, it's, um, uh, well, it, it's, it's an excellent project. I have a really a bizarre first question <laughs> uh, about it, if I may. Um, I'm always very intrigued um where, where kind of new music kind of surfaces at this point, I'm very intrigued as to whether quarantine uh, and that kind of period had any impact on the project at all. So it, was it something that was kind of created in and around that quarantine period or is it something that was sort of gestating well before then? That's a good question. Uh, Michael and I met officially in the pandemic so oh, wow. I think that um, our meeting definitely was a catalyst for a lot of the writing. Right. So it's hard to say, you know, if uh, I, I'd like to think that we would have r- written the album anyway. The but, thing, the thing that it might have done that we might not have had the op- and this is this is one of the strange benefits of that very bizarre couple year period is neither one of us might have had the kind of stretch of time to devote to the new songs and to dreaming and to the sounds, Um, especially M because if, if the world had been, you know, turned around 180 degrees and, and normal, she would have been touring. She would have been um, promoting her, her jazz album that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, there would have been a lot of other things going on that may have taken um, time away from the project. But I think as our relationship developed, uh, it was something that we chose to do to as as a way of being closer. And it, it really did start out of friendship and love and and mutual respect and just wanting to explore possibilities. That's oh, that's really encouraging to hear. I it I mean having this uh sort of uh podcast um, gig, you kind of talk to a lot of artists over the last few years, and that quarantine period, I I genuinely find it a fascinating kind of period for uh, from an artist perspective because I've had conversations with people that found the entire experience completely stifling, and uh, I, they were really unable to to kind of move forward despite having this kind of um without being insensitive to sort of tragedies that befell people but a lot of people just had this huge amount of time mm. and uh were able to freely and uh, create uh and it was a very exciting process but you do have conversations with people that found as i said the experience stifling and not able to kind of create because you can't experience things in the way that you would normally do so you can't go on holiday you can't go out for dinner you can't see friends you can't socialize so i i always find it an interesting kind of line in the sand as to when projects come out now at what point that kind of quarantine period uh, impacted uh, their process how was that quarantine period for you both it sounds like it was productive obviously and, and you you have each other uh, as well out of it but uh, was it was it a difficult time for you or did you um, enjoy the kind of the, the the time afforded to you I mean, I, for one, I'm easily overwhelmed with life. So I really appreciated <laughs> the uh, chance to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you're talking about, about, you know, like people not having the chance to go out and maybe collect inspiration. I feel like this inspiration was collecting for a long time. Mm-hmm. So 
it was almost as though the floodgates kind of opened. And um, I think it was also born out of a sense of thinking, well, one of us might go <laughs> at any point. Like, I, I don't mean to laugh about that, but that sense mm-hmm. of mortality of like um, anything could happen um, makes you think about what kind of art you want to make. And for me, right. I just had always loved this sound. So, you know, someone just discovering this album, they might go back and hear my other records and say, oh, that doesn't sound anything like that. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, this was like an awakening. And um, I really love that I was able to just be myself and be myself with Michael and just make this amazing album. Can yeah. I say it's amazing? Is yeah, that- I think, I think- <laughs> uh, we, we, we both shared a love for um, the, the music that was an inspiration for this record. And, and it was kind of part of the foundation for our getting together, like everything from Steely Dan to the Doobie Brothers to um, Michael McDonald's solo stuff um, to even Hall & Oates. Like it was part of our, our dialogue as we were really getting to know one another. Um, and, and I think we both discovered that we had a, this mutual love for um, this music and, and it just became really natural for us to explore it. So the, the, the kind of the shared affection for, uh, for sort of that, this sort of, type of music came first before the writing or did you start writing and then it kind of formulated itself into kind of the project that we now hear well we started watching a lot of documentaries that's kind of where it started yeah um and that definitely was a pandemic thing because we don't watch tv or anything normally and and we started (laughs) we started watching things like the the making of asia steely dan's album Okay, and well. we just became fascinated with uh, Becker and Fagan talking about the Purdy Shuffle and and just really getting into um, the way those records were made and and the experimentation that was happening. And I think we both really lit up at that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that the pandemic did for me is it quarantine. I had a lot of stuff a lot of responsibilities in my previous life that had prevented me from pursuing my art. I, I hadn't published a book for a while. I hadn't, um, I hadn't done music or anything involved in music for decades. Um, I, it just, I, I found myself in, in, in this new relationship with this really inspirational person, um, completely freed up and, and, I don't think it was a mis- I don't I don't think it was an accident that I went back to uh, the music of my childhood music that I really loved from the late seventies and eighties and found both like comfort in that and inspiration in that. Hmm. Amazing, uh, Michael. You just you mentioned just now about you haven't published the you haven't published anything for a while. This is obviously I, I imagine you're talking about the the poetry yeah. uh, that you've been writing. How did you find the transition from poetry to songwriting in this context was it something that you uh came quite effortlessly uh or, you know how did you find that as a as a transition uh, to be honest with you i actually found that for the first time in more than a decade i was actually writing poetry 
that I was proud of, that I wanted people to read or to hear. Um, I felt completely liberated. And I, I don't see it being any different. I don't see the poetry that I've published in my books any different from the lyrics mm. that Em and I worked on together um, on these songs. And the, everything really was a collaboration. Um, one of the things that the process taught me is, is and M was really super patient and really um, a great guide in this. She helped teach me how to write a good song. Um, I could always write a good poem, or at least, you know, I, I'm saying that, but some for somebody else to judge. I felt like I could get through a poem and make it work. But I had a lot to learn about um, the way words work with music. And even though I played in bands before and, and I had done it before way deep in my past, um, I felt like I was getting a master class when I was working with them and, and yeah. when we were making this record because the melodies she was coming up with guided some of my lyrics and, and she would take my lyrics and find better ways of resolving lines. And it was, it was really cool to see that happen. Amazing. And did you find that how the two of you sort of approached uh, writing a song a, com a completely sort of from different perspectives, like you're thinking of it in terms of obviously performing it and putting the whole song together? Uh, did you find you kind of approach songs differently? For sure. I mean, I, I love Michael's gift for words and I thought, it would just be so interesting to see what we would make together. So it wasn't really like as it was going down, it wasn't like, oh, I'm judging this or how is it working out? It was just actually a lot of fun and then kind of a challenge for me to take, you know, a song like Burn the Boats that has a lot of interesting word choices and work <laughs> them in kind of like try to honor them. You know what I mean? So, um, and it was, it's been so great to see the reaction to my music, our music with these words, like we're recording in Nashville and the engineer just like turns around and says, did I hear what I thought I heard or heard or, you know, people really mentioning lyrics. And I think, I don't know, I think people maybe don't work hard enough on them or they might not have the flair for them. Like maybe they should. Um, you think of a band like Steely Dan, um, there was a real creativity with those lyrics. So I don't know. It's just such a different uh, thing for me. And I, I'm i okay. Like I'm used to doing things very quickly. But when I wait for Michael to write, and it is a wait, <laughs> um, I know what's going to come out is going to be mind-blowing. So it's it's really interesting and, and she says that and i think oh my god i've written this so quickly <laughs> like you're, talking, you're talking to somebody who who might take 10 years to write 10 poems and, and i wrote 10 songs in one year i'm thinking i think that's pretty fast right yeah. <laughs> not when you're good at it like am like you know yeah but yeah that's that's a really interesting um i guess a uh, perspective i always desperately try to remember um uh the the the, the artist the, the songwriter who said this i think i think it was the michael jackson uh collaborator was it rod templeton where he used to say that the song is in the air and if you can't grab it within something like 
uh, 30 minutes, then it's gone, move on, forget it. Yeah. Um, but then, then there was, I think the, I'm fairly sure it was Jeff Buckley who said, who, who, who often t- would tell the story of banging his head on his hotel room floor mm-hmm. after hours of trying to write hallelujah, mm-hmm. uh, but pi- but powering through. And then obviously you end up with a song that's going to live, uh, well, as long as uh, anything to play on <laughs> lives. But, you know, so I, I, it sounds like you each have one of those perspectives <laughs> about something happening probably, um, well, I guess more, easy for you for, for yourself em uh, but then the more uh more structured and uh, not structured beg your pardon uh more um patient <laughs> <laughs> approach is, is the word um uh for, for for michael is that a kind of a fair way of sort of approaching it i think so and there's a lot of give and take and i think what i've learned in recent years is to trust others and to trust the collaboration trust the collaborative process so you know, it started this way and then it kind of, even the making of the record was an exercise in trust. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes the way I used to make albums, which is very like, kind of like an island and then multi-tracking them. I mean, I didn't really know anything else. And it's sort of been a lesson in like, okay, just invite people in a little bit and see what happens. And if you don't like it, that's fine. But if you do like it, then you really got like a team with you. Then you got a little family, which, mm. you know, it's been awesome. Yeah. And, and one of the, one of the great moments for me in the whole process was going to Nashville and being in, in sound emporium with the producer, Fred Mullen and these really great musicians. And before they, and before they recorded even one song, uh, they were listening to a demo and, and Fred looked at everybody in the room and these guys were like as good a musician's, as I've ever seen on the planet. And he said, this is the one time I don't want you to be, to play like a band. I don't want you to play like, you know, the band for the singer. I want you guys to be studio cats. I want you to be, think like you're in the 1970s and you're playing for Steely Dan and you're doing everything that you possibly can do. And I saw each one of these musicians light up and realize (laughs) that all the limits were off that they could try anything, do anything and bring anything to the project. And because of that, I really felt over the course of recording the record and watching them record it, they all took ownership of it. And they felt like there was a part of them in, in, in the record. And I don't think, I don't think that that's common anymore. Like they weren't just hired guns. They were people who, who fell in love with what they were doing as well. And and because of that, like Em said, they became family. That's that's lovely. The, the flip side of that is, do you ever kind of feel possessive over what you imagine something to sound like, you know, you've written it, you've, you've, you've mentally prepared it, and then you go in and, and, and people go in different directions and you say, wait a minute, oh, no, mm, <laughs> this, isn't what, this isn't what we imagined at all. That's a good question. It, this was actually the one time that like I'm a bit of an audio nerd. So we did demos for everything. And I recorded a lot of demos here at our house before we went to Nashville. And usually the producer will kind of take the demo and throw it out and, and do (laughs) his, uh, I say his, because I've only worked with men, um, his own thing. And I've sort of surrendered to that in the past, but this was a time when um, Fred actually took the demos and used them as roadmaps. So as much as the guys in Nashville like did their own thing, 
you know, they elevated the demos, but they didn't really change the spirit of them. So it was the ultimate for me. I'm a bit of a control freak about stuff. I was like, wow, like there's that idea, but played like a thousand times better than my drum machine or whatever. Right. So um, I actually felt like there was a lot of my personality uh, still in the record. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think, I think the demos that M made ended up like, this is going to sound kind of hokey, but they really were the spirit guide for the record. Like the demos were really good and you can hear you even when I go back and, and listen to the original demos and, and compare them to what ended up on the album, the, the, the bones of the song, the soul of the song is still there. And, and what, what I first heard when I was writing it. And that's, that that's really beautiful, and I think we, we it just shows that we we hooked up with the right people that they understood yeah. what we wanted to do. Yeah. How did you uh, initially meet uh, Fred Marlin to kind of to uh, put this this project together? Was he uh, somebody you actively sought out? Was he somebody that was in the the proverbial Rolodex? <laughs> how did uh, how did the collaboration come about? So I was obsessed with Michael McDonald. Um, <laughs> So uh, this was a pandemic thing. I thought, oh, God, like, if I'm going to die, who do I want to do out with? What's my dream? So I set out to find Michael McDonald, and I wrote a song. It didn't appear on the album, but it was called If I Can Find True Love, I Can Find Michael McDonald. Um, (laughs) Because I just thought it was so amazing that Michael, my Michael, right here, we had met. And um, I was like, well, what else is possible? So I really went to town, and I asked everyone that I knew, my Bowie friends and everyone that I knew in Nashville, because I knew Michael McDonald used to live there. And no one could connect me with him. And then I realized that um, there was a producer in Nashville um, that a mutual friend of ours, uh, basically this engineer up here, introduced me to Fred. Uh, Fred had worked with Michael McDonald uh, and his wife on a previous record. So I was like, oh, man, I should maybe talk to him. So I sent the song to Fred. He was really lovely. Um, I'd never met Fred before. And um, uh, he just said, yeah, you know, are you wanting me to pass this on to Michael? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, I just don't know that he's I don't know that he would do it on this because you're singing his name in it and it's not really his thing. And he said, but if you want to make a whole record like this, like songs like this, why don't you, why don't we try? And that got me really excited um, to look beyond this sort of obsession. Mm. That's as good a rejection as you can get, isn't it? Like, yeah, it really <laughs> I won't do this for you, but I want to work with you. you know? Yeah, that's pretty good. It's even better. And it kind of brought to mind, you know, you might be looking for something, but you get something greater out of it. And, um, yeah, so, you know, knowing that Fred was open to receiving the demos and kind of, we zoomed once in a while, um, our friendship just kind of formed that way. And Mm. that developed a lot of trust. Like I've never had that chance to like develop a friendship with a producer before going into the studio. And I really was intent on, you know, working with people who had been there, you know, who had who knew what it was like to have the bowl of cocaine on the console. Yeah. 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 No, but I'm just joking. But um, yeah, I mean, he, 
he pulled from that time with authenticity and with love like um and i and i don't know that anyone else could really done that for us Hmm. i have two immediate questions uh that (laughs) from what you've said firstly has michael mcdonald heard business and pleasure that you know of well, we know that he has received it. Um, okay. We did a cover of Real Love by the Yes, Duke I was going to ask you, yeah. Um, and he did respond to that and he said that he thought it was a beautiful cover. And oh, that's wonderful. Honestly, that's that's really all. That's all that matters. Like the fact that he yeah. heard my voice for three minutes, I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other question is, is there a demo of the Michael McDonald song that you pitched? There's actually There's actually a pretty polished version. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I just, I've, because I've been desperate to find a way to end this podcast. I just can't think of what it could be. Oh, my God. That's such a great idea. Yeah. You can play it. Sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, Are you serious? Yeah. I was, yeah. I was totally being facetious. I, 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 no, I don't want to. Yeah. Wow. What a great. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, no one can get it anywhere. But the funny thing about it is another pandemic win was having Tony Levin play bass on it. Yeah. Like- yeah. And, and, and this is the thing that we decided to do during the pandemic is if we had an idea, we just thought we would ask. Right. Right. So, you know, Em was doing the song and we, we just thought, well, that's the greatest, li- one of the greatest living bass players <laughs> to play on the song. And he said, OK, because because he was at home in the pandemic, too. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Amazing, as if the lineup for this album could have have got any better. It's amazing, isn't it? Like the the kind of the, the names that you've you've managed to kind of assemble and the people that embrace the opportunity to kind of work with you guys for, uh, for for the album. My gosh, it's so exciting. Yeah, we're really grateful. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was really amazing, and and to to spend the time with the the people that worked on the record too from the engineers to um the musicians to the record labels to uh the people who helped with the mastering everybody has become and i really mean this everybody has become part of the family they've become mm-hmm. a friend amazing yeah mm-hmm. amazing the uh, the real love cover is is a is a is a beautiful version uh of the song as as um what as as mr mcdonald says um and a great way to close the project if i may say as well so yes uh, congratulations on thank uh, you on that one it's a yeah why, why why that song out of interest uh, i imagine you wanted to do something of of michael mcdonald's but what, what is there something specific about that song that you you gravitated towards it was actually suggested by Fred and by Shannon Forrest, our drummer, uh, on the record. Um, so when two people kind of independently suggest a song, I think, oh, that's a sign. Um, right. You know, I was thinking of maybe doing some of his 80s solo stuff. That's more of an M thing to do. But I'm really glad that I did Real Love because it just changed it in a way that I don't know that anyone has changed that song um and i do think the lyrics are really beautiful and have a lot of meaning for me yeah it is a beautiful song yeah and uh well your rendition of specifically yes it's it's wonderful so great uh inclusion to the album um why the album title may i ask business and pleasure what was the the thought process behind behind that uh, we actually um had the album title very early on and it was almost oh, wow. like a running joke for us. Um, the way that we first met, it was very professional. Um, 
we, I, I was, I was actually M's editor for, um, before we got together, uh, mm-hmm. I had acquired her book for the publishing company that I work for. And, um, she this went is the away. healing power. Pardon mm-hmm. me. This is the yeah. healing power. The yeah, the healing yeah. power singing. I'd actually acquired the book, um, W press and, um, time went on and wrote, was writing the book. Um, as she was completing it, um, my life had changed radically. Um, she wrote to ask me a question, trying to get a connection with, a for another friend of hers to submit a different book. And, uh, we just started talking. Uh, this is before the book actually came in before she had, had completely finalized it. And we ended up going for a walk and, uh, comparing our histories. I was single, she was single. And it became quite apparent pretty quickly that I had to find somebody else to edit the book because um, I was falling in love with her. So <laughs> we, we, we did the very professional thing. Um, we, told, we, we told everybody what was going on. Um, we got a really great editor to, to work on the book, a woman named Emily Schultz. And uh, I stepped back from the project and let our relationship develop naturally but it was a running joke um that you know part our relationship was predicated on business and pleasure and uh (laughs) nice and that's and that's really where i got really fixated on that as an album title i actually just thought it was a cool title yeah um from the get-go that is a better that's a great story does the publishing world really frown against fraternizing between editors and authors <laughs> i know that i do um and it's and it's yeah i think rightly so i i, I it's um i think it would really compromise both people's position um and i and i i had too much respect for him and too much respect for her book and uh, her art to put her in that position. Um, so it, it, it worked out really, everything worked out perfectly. I think she had a great experience publishing the book and I had a great experience falling in love. So <laughs> it was good. I, I did. We had a, <coughs> we, uh, we announced the uh, relationship on zoom to his uh, workplace. And that was, that was interesting. I've never had that experience before. I don't think anybody, <laughs> I never had either. <laughs> But, you know, it was important for me as a woman, especially, you know, in this day and age to to make it clear that this is as much my joy as his. Mm. And these things can happen. You know, we're, we're we hear a lot of horror stories, but we there are times where something beautiful does happen yeah. uh, out of the business world. Yeah. Did, did human resources then walk into the room and get their pens out and say, we have discussions to have now? <laughs> they, they did not because, because it was all preemptive. So we did things, okay. we did things in the best possible way. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely story. It's a, it's a wonderful story of how you guys kind of came together. Um, I guess on the, on the topic of the book, Em, if I may, um, what, what inspired you to, to, to write it? Well, I saw a concert um, called Glastonbury 2000. And this was a concert that I had been 
You were there. And, yeah, I was in with yeah. David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. But it was more the timing of it. It came out in 2018. And by then I was two years out of a previous marriage um, and not doing very well, I must say. And um, I got that chance to see myself on stage because they released the a concert as a DVD. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds very, <laughs> very vintage. But um <laughs> So I was able to watch myself and I was so fortunate to be able to see 25 year old me. And I just thought, wow, like that was my dream as a teenager to like use my voice and sing and like sing in front of a crowd like that. And I guess that I lost a lot of gratitude for it. So I immediately turned my attention towards my voice so when all these other things were going wrong, I was just like, you know what? I could maybe teach people to sing. And I had always hated the idea of teaching people because I felt like it was a failure of some kind. But what it did is it just empowered me and it it allowed me to get out of my own head. And um, that, you know, teaching went hand in hand with writing the book. Um, meeting Michael actually helped me finish the book because I was like, well, if I'm going to be with this Cracker Jack writer. Wait, does Cracker Jack mean good or bad? No, it's, it's okay. Okay. We'll let, we'll let it slide. All right. Uh, if I'm going to be with this incredible writer, I better do a good job. So, um, yeah, it just was the catalyst for rebuilding my life. And I was really happy to pull together, you know, tips that I learned as a singer, but also stories that I think are of interest to people from both like the Bowie time and then my time on my own. And um, yeah, it, it hangs together miraculously. Well, and, and honestly, one of, the, one of the things that was most inspirational for me moving forward when we actually started working together is that Anne was such a good writer herself. Um, so everything, everything that I was collaborating on with her, um, I had a, I felt like I had a responsibility to, try and match the level of what she was doing, whether it was her own words or her music. So I think we pushed each other in really nice ways throughout the course of our relationship to be as good as we can be. Mm. And speaking of pushing each other, um, are you also uh, a student, Michael? <laughs> um, am I a student? Yeah. Are you a student? Do you get vocal uh, training and no, no. Oh, would there be a duet? On Here, here's, here's, the, the, uh, here's the scoop. I'm actually because because um, because we we separate business and pleasure. Um, I am not actually one of M's. Uh, she's not my coach. Instead, I am being taught by the same person that gave her vocal lessons when she was a teenager. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, you are out. Oh, that's nice. That's very cool. Yeah. How, and how are they going? Um, depends on the day when you ask me, sometimes they're going pretty good. And then a couple of weeks ago, I tried uh, singing a song with them and it didn't go so well, but, oh, no. but it, it, it's, it's all good. Like I'm, that's part of the process. You know, I'm learning so much and, um, if nothing else, and the one thing that I can say about vocal lessons, I have done hundreds and hundreds of poetry readings, literary readings. Um, I don't think I have ever been as good at public speaking at reading as I have since I started taking singing. Oh, wow. It really has changed the way I breathe, the way I process information, 
um, how calm I am and how aware of what my voice is doing. So it's really, it's really helped. Even if I never become a great singer, it's already changed the way that I do things. That's amazing. And that's very much in line with your, uh, your ethos, uh, M, as I understand it. It's it, the spirituality in, in being able to sing and how it makes you and, and how you, you, you know, spiritually, mentally, how you respond to, to, to doing so. Right. Yeah. I mean, the voice, I believe when you are taking care of your voice, it's sort of like a, it cracks open a part of you. Um, just because voice requires breath, you know, and if you are sort of living halfway, um, you're not really breathing fully, you're not really living fully, your voice isn't where it should be. I think voice is a huge kind of indicator of where we are in our lives, you know, how clear our voice is, how powerful it is. Um, so yeah, um, I think you're doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> amazing that's oh that's 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 high praise sir yeah. <laughs> <Pass. laughs> um with um i guess you know uh the release of of the albums i i, I kind of find quite interesting when considering the two of you in terms of um i guess m i mean how many albums there have been how many projects you've been a part of do you still get excited uh or nervous about the release of a new project or fairly adept and take just sort of take it in your stride and uh but or, you know do, do nerves play a factor in you know sort of the eve of release of something new this was the first album that i felt really just excited the whole way and i think with past records they've come out and i've been really on my own with them like this is the first album in like 25 years where I've had label support. So this time it feels like a beginning. So the day of release really felt like a celebration. Yeah. I wasn't down about it at all. And mm. uh, it wasn't like driving that car off, off the lot and watching it devalue. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was a really great uh, experience. And I, I feel like the life of this album is long. And that's another thing about working with independent labels and, you know, we're able to work together to kind of just roll with it. Um, there's no like, you know, first week kind of sales target thing. It's none of that. And uh, it's just been great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael, everything, yourself, yeah. Everything's been very organic. And I, I like to think that, that my absolutely like childlike kitty response to everything like it's all cool and exciting to me right mm. so we get a photograph of a picture of a cd in a record store yeah. in um japan and all i can think of is like i'm the luckiest human being in the world yeah, i was the, i was the i was the kid listening to live at budokan and imagining what japan was like as as a young teenager and then there's an album that i was part of and songs that i was part of sitting sitting on a rack in tower records in, um, in Tokyo. So for me, it's, I, I just, I won, right? Like I, <laughs> I, I, I won life and yeah. for that to happen at this stage in my life, after, after so many experiences, after so many hard things at, at the age that I am, um, I feel, I feel blessed that I feel like a kid and that's, mm-hmm. that's a cool feeling. Amazing. Say your age. 
I'm 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 56 years old. There you go. Amazing. People want to know those things. Yeah, and <laughs> and you can have your first record come out at 56. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Congratulations to both again because it's yeah, it's so much around the, the album as well. And I suppose it, it's it's not something you can you should you know take for granted no matter how many uh you know you've you've sort of been able to be a part of i guess you still feel that excitement that that's a wonderful thing and for michael you know to experience it uh sort of uh, under these circumstances as well i can't imagine uh more pride attached to that so congratulations again to you both thank Thank you. you Um, I wanted to um, ask about um, something you just mentioned about, say, label support. Um, I mean, for for yourself, you know, to be sort of in the industry for as long as you have. I mean, um, have you have you actively avoided that route? Um, You know, you've you've been an independent artist. I mean, what do you feel that the challenges are? Um, in in this day and age I mean you've seen a lot change over the the years I mean you know the the primary source of music listening now is obviously Spotify and that wasn't the case you know 10 to 15 years ago Um, I mean how do you kind of sort of navigate that path as a as like an independent artist and what do you feel like the challenges are and what you know what have you kind of enjoyed about it as well I've subconsciously avoided labels for a long time, uh, just based on one experience, you know. I think when you go through something that you can't quite understand, um, which was, you know, being dropped at the age of 22 from a big label, you just sort of come up with a story and then you tell it to yourself for a number of years. So it wasn't even a choice to really avoid the labels. I was just like, thinking that we didn't agree, you know. Um, I think where it's different now is that to me, it's about people, Um, not necessarily like signing to a big label that can make you promises, but like really associating with people that enable the best of you. Um, So, you know, when I met each of the people that we're working with, um, Rob Fleming in the UK and Helmut at Leger in Germany. Mm. It was just a sense of like, there was no complaining (laughs) from them. And I think in the industry, whether you're an artist or a label person, there's just so much like negativity. And um, to me, I just didn't want any part of that. So whether they were in charge of a big label or a small label, sort of irrelevant. It was just that they had this energy that I felt, yeah, like this music was born out of love. It was born out of joy. Um, We should be working with people who are that, you know, as well. So to me, it's just a super great like family environment. It's also about you know, realizing that even when you're on a big label, there's a lot that you have to do yourself. Mm. So it's just about your attitude, um, I think. And if you're going to think that it's all a nightmare, it's going to be a nightmare, right? But if you can Mm. just be grateful for what you have, like, we're so lucky. Um, And so many artists are so lucky and just build on that, like, look at what's working, uh, instead of what isn't working. That's kind of been my philosophy. Yeah. 
it's a it's an incredible success story and obviously the freedom i think you described yourself earlier as a uh, as a control freak in terms of when it comes to i mean that in a in a, in a complimentary way i think it's it's great to, to 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 be that passionate about something that you've created and not just to be you know freely open to just yeah do what you want with it <laughs> sort of thing so the fact that you, you you know you want to maintain all aspects of what you've uh created i always you know massively respect that in in people and i think to be able to navigate your own path and tell the stories you want to tell to be a part of the projects that you want to be uh to still be doing stuff with like Def Leppard uh and um you know for to work with David Bowie um, oh. under those circumstances for as long as you have is amazing right yeah really really is I mean I I'm just so so lucky um and everything I realize I used to kind of feel like, oh, you got to do one thing and do it well. That's not really how it is these days. Like one project will inform another. And then, you know, what we're doing with our record, like makes playing with Def Leppard even more fun. And, you know, like it's, it can just be, it can be what you want it to be. Mm. Wonderful. Um, I, I, I will, I won't, take up any more of your your very gracious uh your your time you've you've both been an absolute pleasure to talk to and um i i greatly appreciate you kind of just uh hanging out and um getting to talk about this this awesome project um and just the wonderful story kind of attached to it for both of you um i wish you unlimited success with it and uh i look forward to to to, to much more from from both of you as time goes and i certainly look forward to the michael holmes solo project as well mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much and thanks for the thoughtful questions darling I know I'm just another If only just tonight Let me hear you lie just a little Tell me I'm the only one That you ever really love Honey, take me back in my memory Place when it was all very Yeah.
Talking up the head. 